4,000 Words is funded by the generosity of the patrons of Infinite Hermit Productions. If you'd like to contribute and get access to works in progress, complete stories, exclusive podcasts and Parapod movie, pictures, updates and rarities, please visit patreon.com forward slash Ian Bolsworth or visit ianbolsworth.co.uk for more details. Ladybird. I don't know how many bags I want, he'd snapped at her. You tell me. Surely you're the expert. The emphasis had rattled Jenny. The problem had been she completely understood why he'd said it. She hated that she was told to ask. Between them, every checkout operator had endured that conversation. Why couldn't they just do it one bag at a time? They were barcoded anyway. They could scan them as they were needed, but that would have been too simple for a store like this. There'd recently been a slogan added to all their branding that self-described as delectable, and it had already been replaced with despicable in their whispered conversations. The management delusions of grandeur didn't spread to the tills. They were far too aware of the role they played in this corporate illusion. Young, beautiful, customer service girls, worked in tandem with glamorous, older women, blasting barcodes on never-ending conveyor belts, continually reloaded by the ladies of the generation below, willingly hankered by ransom babies and patriarchal payoffs. It was an illusory merry-go-round of perfection, in which all involved either swallowed their inner misery or performed with a plum. Even a job not worth doing is worth doing properly. In the 15 months that Jenny had been paid up to tow the line, she could count on one hand how many times she'd interacted face-to-face with male customers. That was maybe why this one's venom over the stupid plastic bags had stung her so much. Men were dragged around that store, hands behind their backs, occasionally nodding perceived permission at suggested purchases. Other men waited in the car park, surreptitiously messaging mistresses or taking in the sights of other prizes. Other men came there to die. The emphasis, though, you're the expert, had cast undermining aspersions on her entire life. She was one who took pride in her job. She'd have done any job with pride. That anybody felt the arrogant superiority to look down on a fellow soul making an honest wage, particularly with the cowardice of implication, sickened her. Nobody had missed the noise of his final fall. He brought down one of the Perspex charity collection boxes as he went, and the scattered rolling plastic coins had taken an age to settle. Jenny was halfway through a text to Darren. The man had been her last customer, and she was about to close her till, but she wanted to contact a human being about the monster she'd just encountered despite Darren already waiting for her in the car park, a matter of minutes away. The crash stopped her mid-word, a rare word that she reserved only for the types of people that there was no other word for. She initially thought her new nemesis had taken his boisterousness to another victim, 
Then she considered that he may have pushed the wrong person and was reaping what he'd sown. Either way, she was certain that the commotion was connected to him. Mary, on the next till, looked to her with raised eyebrows, and Jenny gave a shrug and shake of the head as she stood up from her seat, attempting to see down the exit end of the store. People had stood aside. One lady was already on her phone, whilst another bobbed down to some unseen calamity. A tannoy announcement requested that Narina report to the front of the store. More raised eyebrows from Mary. Narina was the on-duty first aid rep, and moments later was striding purposefully past Jenny's till. Soon the whispers came through. They think he's dead. Jenny had stayed at her closed till. She'd called Darren, and he relayed what he could see from the car park. Shaken up customers. A circle forming in the doorway chest compressions and eventually an ambulance arriving, with paramedics who quickly stopped hurrying. She didn't want to move. She had to gesture towards her till close sign several times, whilst unable to shift the thought that she had been the last person to talk to him, ever. Had she wished him dead? It wasn't the sort of thing she would do, but his abuse of her was equally unusual in that stall. Just that one sentence had been the only discourse she'd had with him. He'd merely huffed at every other transaction. She might have thought anything as his back got further from her till. What troubled her the most was, whilst the shock and adrenaline were undeniable, she felt nothing. No satisfaction, but equally no sadness. A stranger had been horrible to her, and then almost immediately died. She had no idea what she should feel. She hoped it wasn't fate. She wouldn't have liked that. Fate had usually favoured her, but revenge would be an uncomfortable new interjection. As always when she considered fate, she considered Darren. He was in the car park too. Warmth surged through her. She called Darren again and managed to persuade him to take his car home. The plan, pre-mortem, had been to leave both cars at the store and walk into town for a meal. But now she just wanted a moment. He'd tried to take charge and she'd put everything into conveying calm. She let him know she was all right. She wasn't all right, but it was no help for him to be aware of that. It was always a feat to hide herself from him, but she didn't want his support for now. If it was fate, she wanted to carry this herself. She'd be unable to make a wrong decision. She gathered her bag and took the walk. There was only the briefest glimpse of the gurney as blue-gloved hands slammed the ambulance door shut and a briefer glimpse of an uncovered shoe at the bottom. The lace was untied. Narina was stood to one side, her first aid training rendered redundant by first the ambulance and then the dead body. Melissa had her manager face on, but her eyes betrayed her shock. Jenny had had her fair share of resenting Melissa. It wasn't the easiest thing to find yourself a subordinate to somebody 25 years your junior. Somebody portraying confidence with such assuredness, just as Jenny had when she'd been that age, can get up your nose when you know better. Jenny knew better, knew that it was just that, a portrayal. Looking at Melissa now, her lips pursed and shoulders back to detract from her ruffled feathers. She saw herself back then, 
confidently tackling the world head on, whilst absolutely terrified that somebody will find out that you're out of your depth. Poor kid. Melissa's darting eyes eventually landed on Jenny. You can get off now, Jenny, Melissa said, distractedly. Thanks for staying a bit later. There was no need to point out that she hadn't been asked to, that she'd sat at her closed till, whilst the urgent murmuring carried down the store. She moved closer to Melissa, considered touching her arm, but resisted in favour of folding her own. You're right, Mel, she asked. Oh yeah, Melissa lied. Bit of excitement, isn't it? Are you in tomorrow? Saturday, Jenny said. Saturday, that's fine, Melissa said, giving permission to a statement. I'll see you Saturday. Have a nice night. Melissa attempted a reassuring smile, but feared it may look like a plea, so took the opportunity to turn and make her way back to the customer services desk. Jenny slowly breathed a silent sigh, and was about to leave when she noticed something below her. Half on the ledge at the bottom of the windows, half on the floor. Bags. Full to the brim, with the extravagant selection she remembered from her final customer making his final shop. Jenny frowned, before looking back at the retreating Melissa. Mel, she called. There was a full clothes horse in the kitchen. Jenny kept glancing towards it, and how close it was to the cooker. She imagined a frying pan on the hob, or the oven door pluming out smoke during a mid-cook check. The grease in the air from the frying pan, or the musty carbon from the oven, floating over to imbue the damp, hanging clothes. Thank you, Jenny said, as a mug of tea was settled before her. The four bags from the shop floor had completed their journey, and were now half emptied into barer cupboards than Jenny had seen for many a year. She felt satisfied, yet embarrassed by her charity. In truth, without the emotional punch of the events proceeding, she may have considered taking the food home herself. Nobody has four bags full from that store, without parting with a couple of hundred quid, and it would have been karmic to have wrestled back some status from a dead man's hands. She'd shifted the old lingering feelings of poverty, though. She took the same amount of shopping home to Darren off her own steam now, albeit with her staff discount bringing the bill down to reality standards. she decided not to take it for herself, and fate wouldn't have allowed a wrong decision. She'd asked Melissa, and Melissa had agreed. Even then, she fought the feeling to take advantage. If she'd asked Melissa for paid leave and a trolley dash at that point, she could have been charging around emptying shelves of sun cream 30 seconds later. Such was the simmering anxiety in her superior. The contents of the bags couldn't be reshelved. They'd been bought. They were out in the world now, and there was no official contingency plan in place as to what happens to shopping whose owner expires before exiting the store. Melissa had initially said it would be disposed of, but Jenny put forward the idea of redistributing it. She wanted to ensure its journey to a worthwhile destination, and the only worthwhile destination she was confident of was herself. Not herself now, herself then. She hadn't made the drive in over 20 years, 
but her hands on the wheel and feet on the pedals didn't need reminding. Every glance, manoeuvre, pause, all flowed as though they were still active. There are things that never go away. And as she pulled it to the car park, with its faded dividing lines, littering and slalom of unrestrained trolleys, finding herself seemed nothing short of an inevitability. She'd fought with the idea of superiority, of appearing condescending, but remembered herself of how she wouldn't have felt anything but blessed. Her broken spirit still roamed this car park. It was just haunting a new life. The store in front of her boasted its poverty. A far cry from where her shopping now came from, admittedly by the default of her working there. There were still four by fours sticking out like sore thumbs in the car park. There were people who reveled in slumming it. Jenny could never accept it as anything but a place of miserable necessity rather than a quaint anecdote at a dinner party, following the demand that guests guess where that wine is from. No matter the stars eventually aligning, no matter Darren, no matter the tortuous climb from despair, the building in front of her still stood, despite fate, a monument to her misery, a budget facade hiding multi-millionaires, exploiting the desperate with the only shit they could afford. Today Jenny was going to upset the average. For a brief moment she could give a passing lift to somebody. She could go back and reward herself with a week off. A conduit for fate. Don't be thanking me, Jill declared across the kitchen. You're like an angel. Jenny smiled, the creaking mug handle terrifying her as she lifted the drink to her lips. And Jill glanced through the window into the backyard. Put that down, she shouted. A brief pause. Down! There was no clue as to what was being picked up, but it was certain that whichever of Jill's two sons playing outside had lifted it, they dropped it on the second command. A command which had simultaneously caught the attention of Molly, who scarped into the kitchen at impossible speed. Jill sighed loudly. Oh, here we go. Molly, out! No such joy with the dog. Jenny lifted her mug quickly as the ball of fur made a solitary jump at her knees before bolting back down the hall and up the stairs. Sorry, Jill began, and the rapid sound of feet announced the canine return. Another lap of the kitchen, then a brief pause to look quizzically at Jenny. Hello, said Jenny to the dog. Molly snorted through her nose and tilted her head, as though her incessant sprint had been the most self-explanatory thing in the world. Door Molly, Jill said urgently. Molly bolted again into the hallway, and Jill quickly closed the door behind her. The sound of running dog feet abruptly stopped as the door clicked, and Molly realised she had fallen for the duping yet again. What is she? Jenny asked. Shih Tzu Cross Bulldog, Jill said sadly. She's going. I have to ring two people back about her today. Jill had been struggling outside the store with the two boys. One was hanging off the side of the trolley, whilst the other had sat himself within it. There was ample room. In fact, a trolley had been entirely unnecessary. One bag sat in there. One bag. For one adult and two kids. Weekly shop. Nobody came to that store to grab a few bits. 
and the fact that Jill had turned left out of the main entrance meant she was now heading to the free bus pickup. This wasn't sleuth work on Jenny's part, it was a trip down memory lane. Jenny had got out of her car and walked towards Jill, very aware of the exhilaration her thumping heart was causing. She was detached from the madness her actions could be considered. Follow every inclination, follow fate. It had been her unique customer and her feet that the bags had sat by. They were showing the way. Jill had initially reacted as though Jenny was an undercover security guard, which made Jenny wonder if there actually was something secreted somewhere it shouldn't have been. But she had soon reassured Jill and acknowledged the strangeness of the situation. She had four bags of shopping in her car. Posh stuff. It wasn't stolen. It was above board. There was no catch and she didn't need it. She wanted it to go to a good home. Jill had looked around as though this were a hidden camera show, bemused, but Jenny elaborated. She fell short of saying it was the bounty of a now dead rude man, but she explained that she had used to shop here and that she would have welcomed a windfall like this then. She just wanted to find somebody who this would make a difference to. Even as she said that, she shook her head at how condescending it sounded. But Jill was biting her bottom lip and looking across the car park as her eyes glazed. Jenny had reached out a steadying hand towards the trolley as the boys were casually steering it slowly into oncoming traffic. Eventually, Jill asked what was in the bags and Jenny had invited her to the boot of her car to see. She'd kept reassuring that she knew it was weird and that it wasn't a wind-up or practical joke. If she didn't want to look, she didn't have to look. If she looked and didn't want it, she didn't have to take it. A few minutes later, Jill was insisting that Jenny come back for tea, as the very least she could do. I don't suppose you want her? Jill asked, nodding at the whimpering from the other side of the closed kitchen door. I'm not sure I could keep up with that, Jenny laughed. Don't blame you, Jill said quietly, whilst leaning towards the window to check the boys in the yard again. His daughter said she'd have her till we got sorted, but I think he's put the mockers on that as well. I think he wants us in the shit. On the drive back from the supermarket, Jill had suddenly said she wanted to explain why she was upset. Jenny had been pretending not to notice that tears were streaming, even when the boys were taking it in turns to ask their mum what was up. They were being put out of their house. A couple of weeks left and still nowhere sorted. Suddenly her fate-led philanthropy had felt very insignificant. The bags were no longer even worthy of a gesture as she expressed her sorrow at Jill's predicament. Their landlord had raised the already unaffordable rent for the third year in a row, and this one was insurmountable. The confessional came out at speed, and Jenny again remembered this only too well. That life from so long ago, when any kindness seemed rewardable with full disclosure. Jenny knew that Jill had nothing to offer but her trust, and she showed her trust by telling her all the things she would have wished nobody to know. A complete stranger was being considered safe to receive news of poverty and misery and a fundamental loss of hope. Jill wasn't dropping hints or tapping her up for help. She was displaying her gratitude for Jenny's kindness by simply sharing all she had left. 
her story. The landlord's daughter was her ally, and Jill had regular second-hand embarrassment for her as she tried to make her father's avaricious actions less incisive. The daughter, Penny, had initially told Jill not to worry when he'd made his demands, had said that she would tell him straight that it wasn't acceptable, and to leave her be. Jill had appreciated this, but held no faith. When Penny had sheepishly come round without a deal, Jill had been the one who had consoled Penny. She'd listened whilst Penny admonished his greed, and held her hand when Penny had sworn that if the house was hers, Jill could have stayed on the same rent forever. He's no idea what it's like, Penny had said. He's no care for the people he hurts. Jill had simply sat and nodded. She'd already started thinking about what on earth they were going to do. I think there's a story there, Jill said, as she sat down at the table across from Jenny, placing a package between them. What do you think they are? They'll be gingerbread, I think, Jenny said, turning the packet around. Four gingerbread biscuits, iced like ladybirds. She thought of Darren, and couldn't suppress the smile this time. A certain nod from fate. Gives me a sore throat, gingerbread. Jill reached behind her and opened the back door. Here, get these! The boys ran to the open door to examine, declare woe, collect and retreat. Jill shifted around in the seat, so she could keep an eye on the yard. What's the story? Jenny asked. No idea, Jill said with a quick shake of her head. I just think it's odd that Penny can be his daughter. He's honestly horrible. Always has been. That there is meant to be serviced once a year. Jill pointed at the gas water heater by the sink. That's the law, that. Wasn't bothered. He stood in here with her, Penny, and looked at me like I was insane for asking. Kept pointing at it and saying it was brand new. And I was saying, I've been here two years and it's not had a check. Doesn't matter what it looks like, it needs checking. They do need checking every year, gas appliances, Jenny said supportively. Told him that, Jill continued, her voice raising. He wouldn't even talk to me. Just stared at me. Like I say, as if I was crackers. Shook his head out the door. She sorted it eventually. Penny did. He shoved the rent up a week later. I try and give everyone the benefit of the doubt me. But he... He's a... Jill's voice abruptly stalled, as she remembered she had company. A cunt, Jenny offered with a smile. A fucking big one, yes, Jill laughed. The phone rang in the hallway. Jill rolled her eyes. That might be another one for Molly. Let me just get it, she said. Just keep an eye on them two for us. Will do, Jenny said, standing and moving towards the back door. The two boys were sat in the middle of the yard, demolishing ginger ladybirds. Jill opened the kitchen door and made her way into the hall, and Molly burst through the doorway before looking baffled that Mum had left the room. Jenny looked at Molly, and Molly stared back. You'll do, Molly thought, and repeatedly bounced off Jenny's shins. The phone ringing stopped in the hallway, and Jenny overheard Jill say the name Penny. She didn't want to eavesdrop, 
she was worried it would make her furious. Jenny stepped out into the yard, with Molly possibly attached to her with static, and looked over at the boys, before casting a glance at her mobile phone. Darren had sent her a solitary message, asking if she was okay. Jenny had first met Darren at a motorway services. She'd been walking back to her car with a coffee, and he was sat in his car, staring, intently, right at her. She'd not been able to see clearly, and allowed the benefit of doubt, but as she got closer to his car, she got her confirmation. His eyes were shamelessly locked on her body. She stopped walking and stared back, completely appalled and refusing to be glared at. She frowned at him in disgusted bemusement. He just carried on staring. Mouth slightly open now. She placed a free hand on her hip and focused everything into attitude. The nerve of this idiot. Darren suddenly jolted and blinked before looking right into her eyes. Excuse me? She had mouthed at him. That's when he'd suddenly shaken his head with wide eyes and rolled down the window. Ladybird, he'd said. What was that? She opened her mouth to speak, but had nothing. It was so crass. There's a ladybird on my window, he said, apologetically laughing. Whilst running a finger slowly up the glass, he held his finger out to her. There, sure enough, was a ladybird. I was looking at that. Jenny was grinning as she looked over to the boys and the little ladybird icing that was left in the packaging and down their fronts. Molly clocked it at the same time and ran over to them. She'd had faith in fate since that day at the services. Darren, of course, laughed it off as coincidence and would gently explain to her that it was no more unlikely a meeting than anyone else she had ever or would ever meet in her entire life. Every single interaction from the moment you're born is as unlikely as the next. She understood what he meant, and she completely disagreed with it. She could feel the pull of fate. She always had, even before the ladybird, but the ladybird had sealed her trust in it. To have been on that window, at that moment, in front of that man, and for her to have stopped at those services at that time, too much for coincidence. She heard Jill come back down the hall and ducked back inside the house. Jill didn't come into the kitchen, but leant dazed in the doorway. Jenny looked at her. All okay, she said, concern rising. Jill placed a hand on her chest and took her breath. That was Penny on the phone. She said we can stay. Jenny stared, confused. He's dead, Jill said quietly. He dropped dead today. She was unable to make a wrong decision. Four Thousand Words is an Infinite Hermit production, written and read by Ian Bowlesworth. The music was by Thomas Funderay.
4,000 Words is funded by the generosity of the patrons of Infinite Hermit Productions. If you'd like to contribute and get access to works in progress, complete stories, exclusive podcasts and Parapod movie, pictures, updates and rarities, please visit patreon.com forward slash Ian Bullsworth or visit ianbullsworth.co.uk for more details.